And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. If you got your Bible, grab it, and uh, we're going to make our way to Revelation 3. That's right, Revelation chapter 3 uh, today. But let's, um, let's say our prayer together. Let's invite the Lord into, um, into this space today. So say this out loud with me. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are kicking off today a, a series called You Asked For It. And um, what we did, you may have remembered back on Easter Sunday, we did a quick survey. And that survey was kind of kind of asking you, what are, what are some things that you're facing uh, in your life? What are some seasons that you're walking through right now that you would love to hear what the Bible has to say about that? And so we have prayerfully uh, considered all of those responses as they've come in and allowed the Lord to, to kind of connect uh, the topics that are most interest or that you're most interested in uh, with where we felt like the Holy Spirit was leading. And so um, we're going to be going on a six-week journey uh, uh, just talking about what the Bible has to say about some of these areas. And I know sometimes um, sometimes in kind of our, our religious little box, we get kind of like, well, I don't know if this is like the proper way to do it. Like, Ryan, shouldn't you be like Holy Spirit-led and, and, and bringing like just whatever the Lord has spoke to you that week? And, and I get that, yes. Um, and we have been praying and we've been asking the Lord uh, for guidance in this. But if you look at Jesus and his time when he was ministering here on earth, that the majority of the teachings that he did were what? They were in response to questions that the crowd were asking. And so um, I get excited about this series. We do this once a year and we usually do it around the fall time. And I get excited about this because I feel like um, I feel like as I share, it's kind of in a way it breaks out of the kind of the American church box. And uh, I feel a little bit like, like we're being like Jesus. And uh, as you guys are kind of sharing what you're walking through and what you're facing, we get to talk uh, about what the Bible has to say about that. And so today, I want to kick off this series uh, week one. And I want to tackle a question that uh, quite a few asked or responded to in the survey. And that was, how do I get out of a spiritual rut? How do I get out of a spiritual rut in my life? You know, a couple years ago, uh, we took the family, we got a chance to go to Long Beach, Washington. We had some friends in the church that had a second home there, and they were super generous to, to allow us to go and to stay there for a week. And um, we had a really, really good time. It was a little different because our family's from Florida. And so when you go to the beach in the middle of the summer in Florida, the water's like warm enough that you can actually get in and move around. Well, when you go to the beach in the middle of the summer in Washington State, the water is freezing. And so the kids were like, it was so funny because um, they finally like dared each other to, to actually go full body in the water. And then they came running out like, like somebody electrocuted them or something. But they were like, they were like just hanging like about knee deep, like just kind of, kind of playing and hanging out, throwing Frisbee and all the different stuff like that. But um, one of the cool things, kind of fun fact about Long Beach is that it is the longest beach in America. 
It has over 28 miles of continuous beach. And what's cool about it is you can drive on the beach. So they've got these kind of areas that are, are kind of um, on ramps, so to speak, onto the beach. And you can just kind of drive, you know, 28 miles. You can drive wherever you want uh, on that beach and hang out. And so we decided we wanted to go catch the, the sunset one evening. And so we got in the Yukon and we drove out on the beach. We had some chairs and all that stuff. And, and we drove down a ways and, and, and kind of pulled out and, and, and the back of the Yukon was facing out towards the water. And we had our lawn chairs and we set those up. We built a little, built a little campfire and, and uh, we had some s'mores or, or a version of s'mores because dad forgot the crackers. And um, so it was a version of s'mores. And uh, Andrew and I just hung out in the chairs and, and watched the kids. Kind of, they had kites and they were just kind of having a good old time. And, and I noticed that, that the water, like we had parked and the water was a long ways away. And I had noticed that it was starting to move closer and closer to us as high tide began to come in. And, and I kind of underestimated. Um, how quick the tide would come in. Anybody ever underestimate something in their life? And, and, uh, and I kind of underestimated it. And it got to the point where we had to start kind of putting stuff, kind of moving quick, getting it, putting the fire out and, and, and getting everything in the car. And we began to head back to the, to the, the area that you drive out on the beach. And, and the high tide is coming in. And I'm having to kind of, it's pushing me more and more towards the, the looser, the thicker white sand that's up towards the, the top of the beach. And, and, and every time that, that it would kind of push us up that way, I would get into these like ruts and the, and the ruts would try to shift the car further and further into that loose, deep sand. And I'm going to tell you, I got a little worried there for a little while because there were times that the water had come up so much that we actually had to drive through like a foot, foot and a half of water to try to get to the other side of the, of, you know, cause the water kind of moves its way up through the beach and, and, and to get to the other side. And I was scared to death. I, did, I think I did a good job at kind of masking that and hiding that, uh, from the rest of the family. So everybody didn't go crazy. Um, but but I was worried. I was worried that, that we were going to get pushed so far up in that loose sand that our car was going to get stuck and we were going to get kind of consumed by all of this water that's coming in. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that this week and just thinking about that experience. And, and it really makes me kind of think that sometimes in our lives spiritually, like sometimes when we're following the Lord and we're trying to live the life that, that, that he's called us to live, that we experience these seasons where, where stuff kind of comes up unexpectedly and we face seasons that, that kind of shift us and push us in directions in life that, that maybe we didn't originally want to go. And, and just like that experience at the beach, that, that life sometimes we get kind of caught in these, in these ruts. And just like that rut would try to shift me into deeper and, and thinner sand, that, that it does that in our lives. And that sometimes some of those things that we face and that we, that we walk through in our lives, it gets us to a place to where we feel stuck, where we feel like there's no way out. And when we look at this word rut in the dictionary, look at this meaning. I think it's kind of interesting. It says this, it says a pattern or behavior. So it's a, it's a way of living. It's a way that, that we are going about living our life at that present moment that, that it has become dull and unproductive. 
dull and unproductive, and it's hard to change. I don't know about you, but that sounds very similar to what I've experienced in my own life when I've been in some spiritual ruts. Anybody else in here ever been in a spiritual rut? Yes, like five or six of you. You guys are lying in the house of the Lord. (laughs) We all, all of us in our lives, we all experience those kind of seasons that feel like, like it's become dull and it's become unproductive. I saw a study that, um, that came out recently, and they surveyed over 1,000 churches and over 100,000 Christians. And here's what they discovered in this survey, that for the American church, the American Christian, that the majority of them have stalled spiritually. That the majority of Christ followers in America have stalled spiritually, that they're in a spiritual Rut. And today you may be kind of trying to figure out, well, Ryan, I'm not sure, like, like a part of me thinks that maybe I am, and then part of me doesn't think that I am. Well, let me give you, I want to give you 10, 10 signs, uh, and this can kind of help you begin to self-evaluate whether or not you're in a spiritual rut. The first one is this, um, that you read your Bible out of obligation rather than enjoyment. You read your Bible out of obligation rather than enjoyment. Number two, your prayer life is short and repetitive. You ever feel that way? Like, like you, you, you try to pray, but it ends up never really lasting very long. Not that length is, is, is a determining factor of our spirituality, but it's like you kind of go through the same kind of prayers over and over again. Number three, another sign is that you can't think of something God has taught you recently. How many know that, that the Lord, we're, this is in this process, this discipleship process that John was talking about last week, that, that it's this process of us becoming more and more like Christ. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot of areas of my life that are not like Christ. And so it's this process, this journey of God teach, teaching us some things. Uh, next one, number four, you feel spiritually exhausted. I know I've had some times like that, especially since COVID has kicked in, where I've just felt spiritually exhausted. Number five, that it's been a long time since you've shared your faith with someone. Number six, that there's a lack of excitement and anticipation when you go to church. Like church coming becomes an obligation. There is not this like expectation as you're on your way and you're pulling in the property that, man, God's going to do something special, whether it's in my life or he's going to use me to make an impact in somebody else's life. Like, like when's the last time you came walking through those doors and before a, a song ever started, you were just anticipating, like you could feel like the Lord was going to do something. Like, Like if that is absence in our life, like that's not the only indicator, but that is one indicator that that maybe we're in a spiritual rut. Number seven, that you haven't felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in a long time. Friend, listen, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives is something that you and I should welcome. That we should welcome that. Like if we ever get to a place in our life to where we know we're sinning and we know we're doing things that that we shouldn't be doing, but we're not sensing the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying there's a better way, that there's a better way than maybe, maybe we've gotten into a spiritual rut. Number eight, 
but all of your God stories from years ago. Like you can't really identify, like what has God done for you lately? Number nine, that you've withdrawn from doing life with, with other believers. Now it's all about kind of, kind of your inner circle that, that, that you're not really involving people that are on a similar journey as you are, that, that, that you're kind of, you're out like uh, with your friends, you're kind of partying, and the only connection that you have with, with people that are on a similar journey as you is when you come to this place. And maybe that's an indicator. And then number 10 is that you aren't being a conduit with your time, talent, and treasure. That's a missional statement right there. Because you and I, we weren't created to just kind of go about our life. We're going to see a little bit about that here in just a little bit. That you and I, that God has saved us so that He can work through us to make an impact and a difference and other people's lives. And I, I don't know where you are today. And this is not a place of guilt. Like God does not guilt us into submission, that it is an invitation to a better life. And so today, I want to I wanna kind of use my own journey, kind of, I've experienced some, some, some spiritual ruts, even in the last, you know, since COVID started, even in the last 18 months or so, that I've, I've kind of walked through some things as we've led, um, we've led two churches through one of the worst pandemics ever. Um, we, we've, our church here has gone through a pastoral transition with a beloved pastor that had been here for 18 years. Um, we've, our whole family has experienced COVID. We've had some, some real health concerns in our family, uh, this past year. And so we too have gone through some things that, that I've seen even in my own life, kind of, kind of it's drifting, right? It's getting pulled into the looser, thicker sand. And so today I want us to, I want us to look at Revelation chapter three and, um, I want, us to, I want us to look at what the Lord has to say to help us if we are in a spiritual rut, to help us get out. And what I, what I love about the scripture is that, that there's a lot of things that God knows about us and our journey. And he knew that you and I would struggle with this from time to time. And so, um, and so we see here in Revelation uh, chapter three, the book of Revelation that it's written by John, which is one of Jesus's disciples. And John gets, he gets banished. He gets exiled to a prison island um, because of his faith. And so on this island, God, God sends an angel and begins to speak through the angel to, um, to John to begin to show him some things about how the end times would, would take place and what would be experienced in the end times. And in Revelation chapter 3, we see we are introduced to a church that's called the Church of Laodicea. The Church of Laodicea. And it's important that you don't miss um, this idea that this church, the Church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation, that it represents the church in the end times. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe we're in the end of the end times. And so what I believe is this, that this church of Laodicea, and I think you'll see it here in a little bit, that it describes what the church is going to look like in the last days. You know, there's three characteristics that we see in the end times church, and I've got them up here on the screens. One of the characteristics that, that the Bible describes of the end time church is that they grow complacent, 
that they're materialistic, and that they're selfish. They've gone complacent about about their relationship with the Lord, complacent about advancing the things of God to lost people. They become materialistic where it's all about what they can gain and what they, it's, it's nicer boats and it's nicer houses and it's nicer cars and it's, it's all kind of tied up in things. And when you think about our culture today, right? You think about our culture, like our identity oftentimes is connected to what we have, you know, keep it up with the Joneses, like what we have to make sure that, that, that the people have a perception of us, that we've got it together and, 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 and selfish, like it's all about us. Like it's no longer about helping other people, but it's all about us. And we see these characteristics that, that, that I believe you can see those easily within the 21st century church. And so today I want to extract a couple of verses out of Revelation chapter 3 that I think is going to kind of help us to be able to see what causes a spiritual rut in our life, and then it's going to help us to see how we get out of that. And so in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 15, it says, I know all the things that you do. Like, we can stop right there. Like, kids, God knows all the things, just like mom and dad know all the things that you do. Do that's a that's an interesting statement, but when you think of the psalmist who who said this, if I go to heaven, that you are there with me, that if I make my bed in the dark places, that you are there, that that God knows everything that we do, and He's every place that we go, God is there, and we see this begin to unfold in, in verse fifteen. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I want you to hang out because. I think that we have a misunderstanding of what these two verses actually mean. It says that you are not neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, it says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, I want to hit the pause button here because I think these two verses have been misinterpreted a lot through the years. You see, we assume here that Jesus is making this statement to the church of Laodicea, the end times church, that you're either all in for me or you're all out. Because if you're in the middle, I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. But when you think about the context of where it was written and who it was written to, the Laodiceans, that city was a rich city. Like they had a lot of money, they had these, those characteristics that we talked about, they were all about that, and, and there was something that this city wanted to do that nobody had ever done before. This city wanted to be able to have running hot water and running cold water. That sounds crazy because uh, like we can get up and we can go to the living room and, uh, or, or the kitchen and you probably can't turn on hot water and cold water in the living room, but... Um, and we can go, and we got access to knobs, and we turn it, and, and we're blessed. But in the ancient days, they didn't have any of that. And so this city, they were so rich and so wealthy that they decided that they wanted to have running hot water and running cold water. And so here's what they did. They constructed this piping system that would run the cold water from the melted snow from a nearby mountain that was about 11 miles away. And then they would run the hot water from these mineral springs that was about six miles away. 
And once these pipes were created and once they were opened up and the water began to flow, I mean, can you imagine the anticipation? Like this water, uh, the cold is running from 11 miles away, the hot is running from six miles away into this city of Laodicea, and they're anticipating that water to come. And once it came, history tells us that it tasted so bad that the people wanted to vomit. Here's what happened. The cold water, as it made the journey down, began to warm up. And the hot water from the mineral springs went through this piping system that was made out of clay. And the minerals that were inside of the clay made the water taste rotten. And so knowing that context, as as Jesus is speaking here about the end times church, We see in Revelation 3 that what Jesus is actually saying is, I wish you were cold like refreshing waters from the mountaintop. But I also wish that you were either hot like the healing waters from the north. But Jesus says that you are neither. That you're no longer refreshing and you're no longer healing. And so Jesus says the taste of you. I mean, think of the statement. The taste of your life and the way that you live your life, that it's, that it's rotten to me. And so he's saying, I'll, I spew you out of my mouth. In other words, Jesus is, is telling them that you've lost what, what you had before. You've lost your effectiveness as a Christ follower, like you're no longer coming into people's lives and bringing refreshment, like, like there is a refreshing sense about your presence in the group that you're in, like you're no longer coming into a, a circle of people and, and, and bringing healing. You're no longer, you're kind of, you're coming into a circle and bringing chaos and, and destruction and disunity, like you're not bringing this refreshment and this healing no more. And what makes us even worse about this end times church that he's referring to with Laodicea is they couldn't even see it. They couldn't see it. Like they couldn't see that they had, had grown to be selfish. They couldn't see that they had grown to be materialistic and, and all about themselves. And we see that in verse 17. It says, you say that I'm rich and I have everything that I want that I don't need anything. I mean, think about that statement for a second. Like, like if you think about the end times church that you're saying to the people, like I'm rich, that I got everything that, that I want, that I don't need a thing. And Jesus is like, you don't even realize. You don't even realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and, and naked. And in this next verse, in verse 19, Jesus says, I correct and I discipline everybody that I love. And then he gives them this challenge. He says, so be um, diligent. And this word diligent means to be zealous in, in our pursuit about God. Like not just going through the motions, not just kind of doing things to do them because we feel like there's an expectation, but to be zealous about our pursuit for God. And and he says, and he, and he gives us warning, turn from your indifference. And friend, when I think of the spiritual ruts that I've been in in my life, 
Like there is this kind of there there is this this kind of feeling of being indifferent. Like like you kind of you kind of you want things to change, but there is just this. I, and maybe it's just me, but 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 there is just feeling of like I can I can walk into a super low moment and I can walk into a super high moment, and it's just like I'm indifferent. And I think of you know when you think of the American church, like like I, I can't think of a better word that describes the American church today than, than a church that is indifferent. A church that, 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 that I, I believe the church wants to see a move of God, but, but we always want that to happen without... <laughs> like I want revival, but don't be asking me to wake up at 7 a.m. and do a live devotional during prayer week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like God, we want God to move in the service, but don't, don't ask me to come an hour early and, and pray and, and, and invite the presence of the Spirit in. Like, like we, want, we want, you know, God to, to, to do a work in our students and to do a work in our kids. And man, why are they not living the way they should live? And why, why are they always in all this stuff? Well, don't ask me to serve, but man, we should, we should you know what I'm saying? Like, like, indifferent. And Jesus is kind of, he throws this like, what I, what I see as the answer to the spiritual rut that we find ourselves in. He says, he says in verse 20, he says, look, he says, look, church, look. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, look at this. I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. Like, I'm going to unpack that here in just a second. But that is a powerful statement. Because, friend, that statement about knocking on the door of your heart, it's not a statement that's made to believers, I mean, to unbelievers. Like, in the church world, so I've been following the Lord for 20-something years. Um, <laughs> 21 years, something like that at this point. And for a long time, I would even say that statement as it related to, to unbelievers, that God's at the door of your heart knocking, you know, wanting to come in, wanting to change your life and, and, and turn your life around. But this is a statement that's made to the church. Like it's made to believers and God's saying, I'm at the door of your heart that I'm, I'm knocking. And I think the misconception that that we have, especially in the American church, because we've kind of gotten lulled to sleep a little bit in, in the way that we follow God in the American church, is this, and, and John kind of tapped into it a little bit last week when he talked about uh, being a disciple, right? And, and, and the way that the disciple in the Bible, in the uh, Bible days is you would have a rabbi and, and the disciples were the people that would follow the rabbi and they would go wherever the rabbi went. And there was just this, there was this saying, I don't remember what it is, but this saying that, that, that as the rabbi walked, that they were so close in proximity 
to their rabbi that the dust of the rabbi's feet would, would, would be all over them because of the proximity, the closeness to their rabbi. And that's, that's the picture of what discipleship, being a Christ follower is all about, is that it's this proximity where we're following Jesus. Like, Jesus, what are you saying about this situation? Okay, I'm going to respond as my rabbi responds. And it's this kind of relationship that's there. And, and, and I think in the American church, what we've done is we've got this kind of misconception that, that we can be a disciple of Jesus while also being the one, all right, get ready, buckle the seatbelt, also be the one that is calling all the shots for their own life. That we can be a Christ follower, but when it comes to where I'm going to live my life, when it comes to whether I'm going to buy this or that, when it comes to what I'm going to do with my finances, when it comes to do with, with what I'm going to do with my free time, when it comes to do with how I interact with my coworkers at work, when it comes to all of that stuff, those are my choices. God, I give you this little box on Sunday, right? But all the rest of the components, the compartments in my life, those, those are mine, and I'm the one that's driving my life. Now, I know it's getting heavy. Like, I can feel it. Like, I, I can feel some of you looking for a way to get up to go to the bathroom and not come back. I get it. <laughs> no, but hear my heart. Like, like we, have, we have gotten to this place. I mean, think of, think of the end times church and this indifference. And we've gotten to this place where, where, where we don't want the Lord like messing with anything. Like don't, like don't be stepping in and messing with stuff. Like I like my Sunday box, right? My time slot of 1030 to noon. Um, Ryan, don't go to 1215 because that messes up my time box. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, like we kind of have built our life that way. And I think COVID has, has intensified that. Like I think that Listen, I'm going to tell you, there's some of you watching on TV that, you, that it's time that you get back in the house. Like, like the couch, there is a disconnect. And we want you back. Like, no guilt. We want you back. If it's safe for your family, great. But listen, we should not be living our life out of fear. Like, fear is driving all of our decisions right now and everything that we do. And our courage to live the life that God's called us to live has gone on the back burner because of fear driving everything else in our life. And our relationship with God is one that is sharpened by the interaction that we have with, man, we're going long in the day, but it's sharpened by the interaction that we have with one another. Like the whole idea of being a Christian all by yourself does not exist. Like we're getting ready to step back into small groups here in a few weeks. And, and it's been, what, over a year, year and a half, whatever, since COVID started that, that there have been no small groups. And there was a time that that had to be the case. But, but listen, there is, there's this biblical community that, that you and I, and I'm bad at this. Like I'm, a, I'm just going to tell you, I'm bad at this because I'm an introvert and the way that I recharge is all by myself. So I get drained being around people. That sounds awful, I know, as a pastor. Like, like you guys are like, God, couldn't you send us a pastor that like being around people? But that's just, I mean, that's how I'm wired. But I've got to have people in my life for me to become who God's called me to be. I've got to have people in my life. 
And friend, as we begin to step in, this is not a season that we withdraw from, from our interaction with our brothers and sisters that are on a similar journey. This is not the season for us to pull back and to not be aggressive and courageous with our faith and let people just run all over us. Like, this is not the time for that. Like, there is this sense of coming together in biblical community and doing life together that helps us be all that God has called us to be. And one of the things that I've seen in my life and other people's lives is when we get into these ruts, we pull away from that and we isolate ourselves. And we think that's going to make it better, but it makes things worse and worse and worse in our life. And so we see in this, in this passage of Scripture that, that the connection that I see here is that what causes us to get into spiritual ruts is when God is at the door of your heart knocking, and He just keeps knocking. And we never answer. We never respond. You see, the reality is, is that God wants to do an extreme makeover in all of our lives. <laughs> all of our lives. There's no one person in here that has got it so put together that God's not trying to do an extreme makeover. Like He's trying to do it in all of our lives. And for many of us, we've, we have, we've accepted Christ as Savior, so we've, we've, we've allowed Him into the living room of our heart, but all the other rooms in our heart of the house are off limits. Like the room to our past, like He's at the door knocking, like, give me access to the room of your past and allow me to come in and, 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 and do a work in your past so you're no longer haunted by the mistakes that you've made, but you can begin to walk in purpose. And I'm knocking, but we don't answer. And then we wonder, the longer he knocks and the more we don't answer, the more of a spiritual rut we end up finding ourselves in. He's, he's there like, let me in the room of your mind. Like, don't let your mind just run with anxious thoughts and, and fear and all these things. Let me, let me come in. Let me take over your mind. And we don't, we don't let it go. Like, what about the desires of your heart? Like, what are you after? Like, what am I after in my life? Is it all about me? Is it all about getting things and all of that stuff? Or is it a missional mindset that my desires are in alignment with God's desires for my life? And, and he's knocking. What about your dreams? What about, what about those relationships? Like you've been hurt, like somebody, somebody hurt you bad in the past. Maybe you were abused. Maybe there was Maybe it's physical, maybe it's verbal. I don't know what it is. And, and, and you're holding on to this unforgiveness from the past and from those hurts, and he won't let it go. And, 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 and I get it, and I think God gets it, that, that there's an element of, of, man, if I forgive that person, then it's almost like I am, I am saying that it was okay to do what, what they did to me. And no, that's a lie from the enemy. Like, like God is at the door knocking saying, you can't become who I've created you to be if you are holding on to unforgiveness in your heart. Like teenagers, he is, you're starting back in school and he's at the door of your heart knocking about your friends. Like, who are you going to let in your circle? Like, who are you going to allow to speak into your life? Like, who are you going to imitate in your life? And God's at that door knocking. What about the hidden things that are there? The things that, that nobody else knows about but you. And I've just discovered in my own life that when I don't answer and I allow him to keep knocking and I don't give him access to those areas, that I start drifting further and further away 
from what he has for me in a spiritual rut that takes me into places that I'm only going to get stuck in. Friend, he wants access. He wants access that God, look at this on the screen, God is on a mission. He's on a mission to remodel every room in our heart, not just the ones that we give him access to. And so maybe the question that we ask isn't like, how do we get out of it? Maybe the question that you and I ask when we feel like we're kind of, our relationship with God is kind of dull and unproductive. And listen, don't feel, don't feel guilty for feeling that, okay? I've felt that many of times in my relationship with the Lord. But maybe the question we should be asking isn't how we get out. Maybe the question that we should be asking is, what room has God been knocking on that we haven't given him access to? How long has he been doing that right there on a certain area of our life that we've just been holding on to? You know, it makes me think of, there's a, a psychological phrase, it's called the, the Stockholm Syndrome, and I don't know if you've heard of this before, but the phrase, it comes from um, this bank robbery where two bank robbers, they had, they had held four uh, individuals captive at a bank for 131 hours. They, they were strapped to dynamite. Like, like, it took five days for them to get rescued. I mean, could you imagine the amount of trauma of being like strapped to dynamite and being held captive by bank robbers for five days before you're rescued? And, and this, this, the Stockholm Syndrome, um, the idea of that, the phrase of that comes from when they were finally rescued and brought out, they were shocked to discover that, that the captives actually began to be fond of their kidnappers. One of them ended up getting engaged to one of the kidnappers, and a couple of them ended up creating a legal fund to be able to help defend them and for what they did. And they came up with this, this, this phrase of Stockholm Syndrome that basically they had, they had been in this state of, of kind of fear-driven, like no, not knowing when the end was going to happen to the point that they began to identify with the very people that were holding them hostage. And I think that sometimes in our life, in our spiritual journey, that we find ourselves with this kind of Stockholm Syndrome spiritually where we've lived for so long in the rut. We've lived for so long, like, like being comfortable with the discontent that the rut in our life produces, that we don't really, that becomes the new normal of our lives. And I don't talk about this a whole lot, but I think it's important to, to, to uh, and Grant, you can come up and get me out of this quick. Um, <laughs> um, but I think we, we need to be very cautious right now in this season um, that we don't allow the fear of what's being driven um, around this pandemic to become a Stockholm syndrome in our own lives to where every decision and every response that we make in our life becomes fear-driven. I'm not discounting anything. 
But I'm saying, don't just take what people tell you as accurate and reorder and reprioritize your entire life based off of that. I've said this before, that the news business, they make money. How do they make money? By generating fear. So we watch more, which brings more fear in our life. That's how they make money. So every time we're sitting down at the TV and we're just being fed, right, all of this stuff and we're responding in our lives based upon all of the fear that is coming, I mean, they're loving that. They're making money off of that. Again, I'm not discounting any, I'm not discounting, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, like that's not, that's not me, I'm just saying Like, find a place in the Bible that it says that in the end times, we as the church should be driven by fear. And you think back, like, in the generations before us, and you think back of of all the things, that the crusaders, and all the things that, that the church has had to face through the years. Let it not be so that in the end times, that in the last days that we become a church that pulls back, a church that leads based off of fear, not on what God is speaking and directing, that we not become an indifferent church that is all about the materialistic stuff, it's all about ourselves, but we know that the promise of God is that in the last days that he's going to pour out his spirit, right? Upon all men. But he's not going to do that through an indifferent church. He's going to do it through a church that is courageous, a church that is bold, a church that is in tune with the Holy Spirit that will respond accordingly. And friend, that's not something that is just We can't just click our heels and that happens. Friend, that's something that you and I on an individual basis, on our family basis, that we begin to make a decision that we're going to be able to get in God. We're going to start getting in God's word. We're going to start spending time in prayer. And we're going to start reorienting our life around the things of God. That we're going to start building community. That we're going to start like coming early to church and being in the altars and praying and asking the, the Spirit of God to fill and rush this place like never before. Like, like God's looking down. What does Scripture say? He's looking down, looking for people that He could pour out His Spirit upon. And friend, may He look down on Evangel and see a group of people that are so passionate about the things of God. That he can do a work through our church and our community and our city and around the world. That lives can be changed because there were a group of people in Tallahassee, Florida that were unwavering and unwilling to compromise. That were willing to sacrifice a little bit of their self in order to make a difference in the lives of those around them. I think of this last part in Revelation 3, verse 20, that Jesus has promised to us that when we will respond to the knock at the door of our heart, 
that Jesus says this, that I will come in. Friend, do you want the Holy Spirit to come in this place? Do you want him to, to, do you want your loved ones to come to know Christ? Do you want healing in your bodies? Do you, do you want just a, a, an outpour of his spirit in this place? It doesn't start with a prayer. It starts with a response of Jesus. Whatever that area is in my life that I have not given you access to, it comes by his people beginning to open up their lives to him. And as you open a room to your heart and you open a room to your heart and you open a room and you open a room and you open a room and I open a room and Andrea opens a room and as we begin to open rooms and God begins to move us out of the present season we're in into a new spiritual season, his activity, the atmosphere begins to change and he begins to show up in a new and a different way and it starts with opening a door. And he says, my favorite part, that I will share a meal with you. It's hard for us to get that, like in our society today. A meal is kind of a means to an end. Like we sit down, it takes us five or 10 minutes and we're done. But in those days, like everything they did revolved around the mealtime. That mealtime was something that was long, that they, they didn't rush it, that they took their time. And, and mealtime was, was a time that, that friends would gather and, and they would share a common bond and there would be true fellowship and meaningful conversation. And friend, when Jesus says that to us, I believe it's, a, it's an invitation to experience him on a level like never before. I wanna leave you with this statement that I think is important for all of us to know, that God never asks us to get rid of something unless he wants to exchange it for something better. Never, never. We hold that door shut in our lives, the door of our past or the hidden things or our dreams or whatever it is, we hold it shut. And a lot of times it's fear, it's worry, it's, it's the unknown, not knowing what that's gonna look like if I open the door. But if you and I will understand that he never knocks on a door, that he doesn't wanna exchange what's in that room for something better. God, for some of you, for some of you here today, that there's this exchange that he's wanting to do. Mike, can you come up? There's an exchange that he's wanting to do in your life. That the hurt, that the disappointment, that the pain, that God's at the door and he's knocking and he's wanting to exchange it with joy and happiness and fulfillment and life. I want to invite our prayer team up here to front. I'm kind of breaking flow right now. I want to invite our prayer team up here with every head bowed and eye closed. Please, please, please don't use this as a reason to slip out. Every head bowed and eye closed.
the Holy Spirit has stopped the order of this service for you today. That he has been knocking on the door of your heart in a certain area. And I don't know what that is. It's none of my business. It's between you and God. But he's been knocking on a door. And you've been holding that door shut for a while. And you've been wondering, why, why, why do I feel like I'm just going through the motions? Why do I feel like, like I just can't feel the life and the breath of this place? Like, like, like I feel so disconnected from God. And I, 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 I just congratulate you for even taking the step to be here today. But listen, I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to open that door today and he wants to exchange it for something better. And so Mike's going to play, he's going to kind of sing and, and I didn't even give him a song. He, he's just kind of flowing, he's going. Would you stand with me today? And again, I don't want you to slip out. We still, I want to still do a staff appreciation. So please, please hang out for that. And they're going to sing for just a moment. And I want to, if that's you today, if you recognize that God has been knocking the door of your heart in a certain area, and today you want freedom and you want to receive what he's wanting to exchange for you, I want you to come up and find one of these prayer team members. We're going to take just a couple moments and give them a chance to pray with you today. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.